0: July 1st, 2000. It's a hot summer's day in West Sussex, England. Four young siblings are outside playing hide-and-seek in a cornfield near their grandparents' home by the coast. A short while later, a 999 call is made to police. Police what's the
1: problem? Um, I've lost my
0: old daughter. I've been missing right an now and it's a cold now. All right. And um, was she playing with
1: anybody at all? She was with her brothers and her little sister and she
0: sort of walked away from them. And what's the name of the equivalent this machine Sarah. That caller is Sarah Payne and her daughter, Sarah, did not come home with her brothers and sister. Two hours later, the police launch a major investigation into the young girl's disappearance. This would fast turn into a huge and massively publicised nationwide hunt to find eight year old Sarah Payne. You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Sarah Evelyn Isabel Payne was the third of four children. Her mum, Sarah, said she was the imagination of the family, all pixies and fairies and dolls. She was very much a girly girl. Around her family, she was full of energy, lively and playful. But Sarah said she could be quite timid with others. Sarah had a big heart, was kind, caring, and considerate, loving nothing more than going to school and playing with her siblings. On the first weekend of July, the Payne family decided to visit Michael's father and stepmother, Leslie and Terry, in West Sussex. It was the peak of summer and they lived by the coast, with plenty of space outside for the kids to play. On the evening of July 1st, the family ate dinner together, before they took a walk down to the coastline. After this, the children having so much fun asked to stay out and play michael and sarah put the oldest brother lee in charge and they went to play in the cornfield just meters from their grandparents house sarah michael and terry took a stroll themselves they soon headed back home wanting to settle in for the evening and get the children into bed as soon as they approached the house they realized something was wrong 13 year old lee 12 year old luke and six-year-old Charlotte was stood outside with Leslie. But Sarah was not. Leslie was clutching Charlotte's hand tightly, panicked, and asked, Have you got Sarah? No, they tentatively said. The children said that Sarah had fallen over and hit her head while playing. She then ran off crying, heading for a gap in the harvest with the intent of going back to the house. Her oldest brother Lee turned around for a split second and lost sight of her. The children had looked for her for a few minutes before they knew they needed to get home. Everyone started running around the fields and beach, gathering neighbours along the way who wanted to help. Throughout the day, local people have joined police officers to search the fields and woods around where Sarah Payne went missing. Sarah had been playing outside with her younger sister and two older brothers when they became separated. Once separated from the other children, police believe she may have become lost. They say there's no evidence to suggest that she's been abducted. As soon as the search started, it became clear that this was not simply a child that had run off and become lost. This was not in Sarah's nature, and everyone knew it. Codenamed Operation Naples, everyone was invested and joining in the search, doing anything and everything they could to help. By all accounts, from everyone that lived there and knew the place, it was a very safe area. There was little traffic, lots of countryside, and all the houses were very separated. But everyone knew each other. One reporter said it was more a place where wealthy holidaymakers would rent out little seaside cottages. There was no trouble there.
2: Possibly if she would move some distance that, that you could still be hidden somewhere. But we do have to consider... But there is a growing possibility that she has been abducted. Time is still of the essence, and for that reason, we are prioritising that line of inquiry. We've got about 500 actions now, so it's 500 different jobs that we've gone out to do in trying to find Sarah.
0: The last place she was seen had one road in and one road out. The reporter said, You really have to have a reason to need to go down there. The police hit the ground running, and along with volunteers in the area, they started searching. But there was simply no evidence to be found. None of her clothing, and nothing she'd dropped on the way. There were no leads, and no clues anywhere. As the police started taking more detailed statements, Lee told his mother he had seen something, but didn't know if he should say or not. After encouraging him to tell her anything, no matter how small, He said that he had seen a white van on the road. He said the driver was a scruffy man and he had smiled at him and waved as he had gone past. He remembered and watched the van speed off so fast the tyres were screeching against the ground. Lee said he was just seconds behind her, metres away. He gave a description of the van and the man inside. Authorities started going door-to-door and questioning known paedophiles in the area. Over the next 48 hours, two arrests were made. But both times, they were swiftly released. Michael and Sarah were making every appeal they could and every media outlet was running Sarah's story.
1: Um, thanks for coming to
0: the press conference, sir. What can we say that we haven't already said? except that we are so determined to find Sarah. We'd like you to introduce you to Sarah's petty. Uh He doesn't have a name yet. Sarah will name him when she comes home.
2: I have uh, some letters from the brothers and sisters that I'd like to read out. So please bear with me on this.
1: If you're reading this, please come home. And we miss you and we want you back. We will find you no matter what it takes and we have a big surprise for you when you come home.
0: I can't imagine what Sarah means to us. We're a strong family and we don't survive well apart. We need a home now, today, as quickly as we possibly can. Somebody out there must have seen her. They must have seen her on that road. They must have seen them. Sarah was spearheading the media campaign, making sure everyone was talking about and looking for her daughter. She wouldn't hear any talk of her daughter being anything other than alive and well, and always addressed Sarah directly in the appeals, telling her she would be safe and back home soon. Sarah... Look, look at all these people looking for you. And your flowers. Look, Sarah, i flowers. God. You'll be home soon, darling. Oh, I promise you, you'll be home soon. You really will.
1: Let her go. Let her go. Or yeah. if, if you know that someone's got an extra child somehow or... Yeah. Or, or whatever. You know, get in touch with your local police, you know?
0: Look around you, everybody. Everybody, just look around you. We're trying to stay as positive as we possibly can, you know? And Sarah, if you're watching, Mummy loves you. And we miss you. And we're looking for you, darling, and we're going to find you. OK? We're going to find you. And you'll be home. You'll be home, darling.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm still hopeful. We've got we to are. be. We've got to keep her, try and keep our spirits up in some way.
0: She's alive. The picture of Sarah wearing her red school uniform became a famous and widely circulated picture, one many will remember seeing in the papers and on the news to this very day. But with nothing turning up, the military was soon brought in as well. Everyone was making appeals, including the pop group Steps, Sarah's favourite band. Reconstructions were put out and before long, Sarah's case had become the biggest in Sussex Police's history. After the appeals and reconstructions, thousands of leads came in, and every single one needed to be looked into. Someone believed they saw Sarah with a man at a service station getting fuel. The girl was in the toilets, crying and saying her name was Sarah. But this lead turned out to be false. Another witness said she had seen what looked like a white transit van come hurtling down the road that day, the same van that Lee described seeing that evening. This lead had a lot more weight to it.
2: Here, 11-year-old Luke asked to say a few words to his younger sister.
0: Sarah, if you're watching, please come home. The um, family's not saying without you. It's just a massive gap in between everybody. Our little princess has been not with us for two whole weeks now. We miss her terribly. Every day gets a little bit harder. It was now more than two weeks since Sarah was last seen and family liaison officers arrived at the family home with terrible news.
2: Police searching for the missing eight-year-old Sarah Payne have found the body of a little girl in West in a Sussex
1: field tonight. Police are examining the body of a little girl found just ten miles from where police Sarah Payne went missing at the beginning of the month. The the body of a young girl found
2: just ten miles
1: from the home of the missing it's eight-year-old Sarah Payne continued by forensic teams. They've been gathering evidence and DNA samples, which are being sent off for analysis.
0: The body of a little girl had been found by a farm worker. She was naked and buried in a shallow grave. Her body was severely decomposed and had been attacked by animals. As the liaison officer Sean was telling Michael and Sarah to prepare for the worst, the media was already publicising the story, and Sarah's brother and sister came running outside, asking their parents if it was true. Testing confirmed it was Sarah Payne's body. Sean offered to go and see her first. When he returned to the house, Sarah said he was the shadow of the man who had left the house that day, and she said looking at how broken he was, she knew she couldn't face seeing her little girl like that.
1: First thing I can confirm with you now is as a result of the post-mortem that was carried out in the early hours of this morning, this is now a murder inquiry. The second thing that you will obviously be wishing to anticipate is that we have been able to identify that the body in the field, half a mile from here, is Sarah Payne's.
0: The pathologist said that Sarah had suffered a violent death, and it was probably asphyxia, in a sexually motivated attack. But, due to the decomposition, it was impossible to determine any injuries. Crime Watch soon ran a story too. ...appeals from all across the country, and with your help, we hope some criminals are about to be caught, like the killer of Sarah Payne.
1: Here's the man who is running perhaps the highest profile investigation in the country, Peter Kenner.
2: The stretch of the A29 where Sarah was buried is a very nondescript road. It's that part that is between the Brinsbury Agricultural College and the Tote Café. On, on that Saturday evening at about 11 o'clock, a lorry driver who was driving a seven and a half ton curtain-sided truck could well have seen the murderer of Sarah Payne. A vehicle pulled out from the exact spot where Sarah had been buried and it caused this lorry driver to break sharply to avoid it. There's little doubt in my mind that the murderer had just buried Sarah. That driver could have also taken the registration number of the car down. Now, wouldn't that be wonderful? It's possible that the killer of Sarah may well have been driving in the area. One particular location that is of interest is the Texaco garage at Buck Barn, which is at the junction of the A24 and the A272. I appeal to any witnesses that were in the area at that time. Did you see a man that was nervous, agitated, sweating, perhaps dirty from having dug a grave? Did you see him in a vehicle? Uh, If you did, please contact the programme. It's vital that we speak to you.
1: I've got photographs of her from birth right up to Just before she went missing, I think. I mean, she loved dressing up. She loved writing little notes to everybody. And the last note she wrote to us before she went out that door was Mrs L. Payne, which is the wife. I love you so, so, so much. There is somebody out there who knows. What happened to Sarah? They know. And I've pleaded with all my heart for them to get in contact because please don't let that
2: happen turn up little girl. Peter, it must be a hugely emotional inquiry for you and the team. As was the reconstruction. Um, the first time I saw that was yesterday at a, a briefing down in um, Littlehampton Police Station. The entire team were there, 40 detectives. As soon as that te- started, you could have heard a pin drop. I, I was not the only person to have uh, tears in my eyes and dubbing them with a uh, handkerchief it does highlight the bravery of Terry Payne uh, and particularly the, the Payne family who have been absolutely marvellous throughout this entire inquiry.
1: Now there have been all sorts of strange sightings as well. I know that there's one bonfire in particular that you're trying to, to find out more about.
2: Yes, th- th- there was a, s- some hardboard and um, um, MDF wood that was on a bonfire which had been taken from a van uh, it was there for three days. The bonfire wasn't lit, and and the wood was a uh, stock uh, 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 was taken, salvaged. I mean, probably it's entirely. Lit, absolutely. Right, isn't absolutely.
1: It? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you want whoever salvaged that that plywood or whatever it was to so let you know forward, yes, what, where is that wood now? Absolutely. And it yes. might be connected. Might have forensic clues on it, of course. Um, and if it did come from a van, somebody would have refitted the interior of a van, or a vehicle
2: like a van, on the 1st or 2nd of July? Yes, in that Littlehampton, Angwering, Rustington area. So
1: anybody was asked to do that, please call? Absolutely, yeah. OK, there's a substantial reward as well. £150,000. So, please, any way that you can help this, but leave this to the Sussex area, please, and try and be specific about calls. Please ring us in the studio and our free A lady number. came
0: forward and told police that she had seen a shoe at the side of the road, near to where Sarah's body was found. This was the lead they were looking for. The shoe was collected, and they started searching that area for more clues. Detectives circled back round to a man they had spoken to just a day after Sarah went missing, convicted paedophile, forty-one year old Roy Whiting. Roy was described as a loner and an outcast. He had a string of past convictions, and he had given them a false alibi. He had scratches to his body and answered no comment to everything he was asked. How far away from her were you in your vehicle when
2: you first saw her? No comment. What side of the road was she walking on? No comment. At what stage did you decide that you were going to take her? No comment. I mean, was it was it a planned thing, or was it an instantaneous act? What was it like? No comment. Is there anything that you don't understand about what I've asked you over the past few days?
0: No. Roy Whiting was suspect number one. Back in 1995. Roy had abducted and sexually assaulted an eight-year-old girl in Crawley. He was arrested and sentenced to four years in prison. A psychiatrist assessed him and said that he was likely to re-offend once released, and could possibly even kill his next victim. He was released after serving just half of his sentence, and in 1997, he became one of the first people in Britain to go on the newly launched Sex Offenders Register. He moved to Littlehampton on the West Sussex coast and started renting a flat, a flat just miles from where Sarah was last seen. As he was on the sex offenders register and lived in the area, he was one of the first people to be questioned in Sarah's case. When the police went to his flat, he said he was out all day at a fair 21 miles away. His flat was forensically searched, but nothing turned up. And with this... The officers left they did however keep him under surveillance over the next few weeks monitoring everything he did and everywhere he went at one point during the surveillance police saw him get into a white van a van they didn't know he owned they asked him to step out and did a quick search it turned out he had purchased the van just a week before Sarah was last seen Inside, they found a receipt for fuel that was purchased on the day Sarah went missing, and this completely exposed his alibi. Other items in the van included children's blankets and toys. Sarah's body was discovered within three miles of the service station where Roy had bought the fuel, and near to his flat, but there was still insufficient evidence to charge him. What had drawn police to Roy Whiting for a second time was that he had stolen a car and taken off. Police chased him at about 70 miles an hour before he crashed. Roundabout, traversing
2: north. one mile in, vehicle's now going south-south. London Road on the Northbound Carriageway. Going south, past the uh, BP garage. down to the back of allied carpets we're into the car park uh-huh. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. county oak industrial estate it's going a right 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 into an unmade road There we go it's going down to the back of langley walk back of langley walk we have a warning light come up on our car we believe it might be damaged we may have to call off this follow. We're going north north speed is 70 miles an hour. we have our lights on
0: there the he was arrested for theft and dangerous driving and this gave them more time to question him about sarah again police believe that no matter how well he thought he had covered it all up roy whiting was behind what had happened to sarah payne but he still wasn't talking and was released pending his court date for the car theft One of the officers leading the investigation said something about Sarah's abduction and death touched a nerve throughout the body of the United Kingdom. I think since that time, there's been some really notable cases that have followed suit, but this was really the very first that was so enormous in the eyes of the public, he recalled. A funeral was finally held for Sarah. Sarah said when they buried her, they gave her the funeral a princess should have. Because she could never give her the wedding a princess should have. Sarah said she owed it to the public and everyone that had been there supporting, searching, and appealing since July. It's very hard when the entire country has ownership of your daughter, she said. You want to go away to a little corner and just mourn and deal with life. But knowing how much this meant to everyone else, many a mourner flocked to say goodbye to Sarah. I didn't know what to write, so I just wrote to Sarah. Dear Sarah, ever since you came bounding into our lives at two in the morning with no phone in the house, one tooth in your head and a smile that could melt ice, we loved you. You were a joy that made our lives full. Daddy called you princess because that's just what you are. Sarah and Michael believed early on that Sarah had been snatched and killed by a sex offender, although they had no idea who. Sarah started channeling her energy into researching the laws on sex offenders and they vowed that they would change the system. When the News of the World newspaper gave their backing too, they all started calling on law enforcement to adopt the British version of what is known as Megan's Law in America. This law would require police to make information about known local sex offenders available to the public. It would allow parents, carers or guardians to formally ask the police for information about a person who has had contact with their child or a child close to them if they are concerned the person poses a risk. A decision was made to publish the names and faces of 50 paedophiles convicted of offences against children in the news of the world. It was an extremely controversial decision Critics accused the newspaper of inciting vigilante justice. There were many attacks off the back of this, but things got confused and people that shared the same names as those in the paper found themselves attacked. More than one million people signed the petition to make Sarah's law happen. In September 2000, two months after Sarah went missing... Roy Whiting pleaded guilty to stealing the car, and he was sentenced to 22 months in prison. 22 months gave police a substantial amount of time to forensically analyse as much as they could and build a good case against Roy. They started running tests on his van. The van was made to carry furniture and was full of plywood that went around the inside. The plywood was easy to strip out and burn, and it was clear that any evidence that may have been inside could be long gone. But the fear of not finding anything quickly dissipated when a single blonde hair was discovered on a red sweatshirt. It was a strand of Sarah's hair. The shoe found on the side of the road was soon confirmed to be Sarah's as well, and the Velcro strap on the shoe had picked up fibres, fibres that linked to the inside of the van as well. On the 6th of February 2001, following seven months of testing and gathering evidence, Roy Whiting was finally charged with the abduction and murder of Sarah Payne. Roy William Whiting, I'm Detective Sergeant Hinchcliffe and I'm going to charge you that you murdered Sarah Evelyn Isabel Payne.
2: Soon after being arrested in Kent this morning, Roy Whiting was driven in a people carrier back to Sussex. As he arrived at Bognor Police Station, an egg was thrown at the vehicle by one of several onlookers.
0: Shockingly, he pled not guilty, and the family were faced with the pain of a trial that could end up presenting more evidence and facts than they ever wanted to hear. During the trial, Roy Whiting's previous convictions were withheld from the jury and media. Police worried that, although absolutely relevant to Sarah's case... Any knowledge of these convictions could jeopardise the outcome of the trial, and if he was convicted, Whiting could appeal, claiming he had been tried on the evidence of earlier crimes and not the ones linking to Sarah. But in December 2001, after a four-week trial, Roy Whiting was found guilty on all counts. He
2: said he'd be recommending that Whiting be kept in prison for the rest of his life. This was met by the loudest cries of yes in court. Whiting was taken away to begin that sentence tonight.
0: And sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 50 years.
2: Roy Whiting will spend the rest of his life in prison for the murder of little Sarah Payne who disappeared in July
0: last year. After the trial was over, his previous convictions were laid bare and the jury and media now knew the full truth. This doesn't make us happy, but justice has been done. Sarah can rest in peace now. But let's make sure that this stops happening time and time again. People are being let out of prison when everybody concerned knows that this is going to happen again.
2: Sarah, Michael, can you describe that moment when you heard the verdict?
0: I thought of Sarah and nothing else. a
1: on, Kev.
0: Michael and Sarah sadly announced their separation in September 2003. They both said that the stress and emotional turmoil brought on by what had happened to Sarah had put too much strain on their relationship. Sarah gave birth to another daughter shortly after this giving them four surviving children together. All of Sarah and Michael's hard work with Sarah's law finally started to make tracks. It was trialled in 2008, and Sarah was awarded an MBE for her tireless efforts in making this happen. In 2009, just a week before Christmas, Sarah had a stroke brought on by a brain aneurysm she underwent two brain operations in less than two days and was given a 50% chance of survival. No illusions here, this is going to be a tough, tough mountain to climb. I've got a long way to go. I've got a lot of work to do. I'm going to have to work really hard in rehab every single day for the, next, for, for the foreseeable future. If I get into the rehab unit, it means I'm going to be working every single day on, just getting all those normal muscles that everyone uses every day, working in a normal way. She made it through it all and didn't ever slow down. Continuing her campaigns after she recovered, she endured relentless abuse and harassment from online trolls, including a convicted paedophile, but she never once wavered. And Sarah's Law, also known as the Child Sex Offender Disclosure Scheme, was finally extended across England and Wales. But another blow for the family came after Roy Whiting successfully appealed his sentence, and it was lowered to 40 years instead of 50.
1: It's 40 years, right? The guy's going to be in his 80s. Is he going to make it to his 80? But then, is he going to be allowed out? He's got to go for parole. Are they going to let him out after that? He's got to prove himself. They ain't going to let him out. He ain't coming out. He ain't going to walk our streets again. Of course it's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, of course it is. I mean, David Blunkett gave him that sentence. He'd have stuck with it. The guy should, I mean, he shouldn't even got a sentence. He should have just been told. That's it.
0: Well, all the time it was 50 years, my family and I could relaxed that he wouldn't, wasn't anywhere near children to hurt them. Um, and there was no chance of him getting parole so that was something that we could relax about. Right now obviously we're a little bit reeling from this. Um, we expected it to be cut and to be honest it could have been a lot worse than it was so um, he's still got his life sentence. Um, you know the family obviously doesn't get a parole date. There is no parole date for the family. There is no end to this. This is our lives from now on. He is now eligible for release in 2041 and will be 82 years old. He is despised in prison and continues to face multiple attacks from other inmates.
2: Eleven years after her death, the man sentenced to life for her murder back in the headlines. Reports that Roy Whiting has been attacked by an inmate. The alleged incident at Wakefield Prison in West Yorkshire saw one man hospitalised. Police have confirmed they were called to the jail on Friday morning following an altercation between two inmates.
0: In 2010, a huge story hit the headlines.
1: The chief reporter and former news editor of the News of the World were arrested today by police
2: investigating the phone hacking... The police camp. investigation into phone hacking at the News of the World sprang back into the life humbling today. of a billionaire media mogul, Rupert Murdoch, a man who is not used to grovelling, is on an apology tour this morning... ...trying to contain the damage Officers from that massive Ian phone Edmondson's hacking... Stand. home with materials in bags and a box. The news of the world's former assistant editor had already been arrested after going to a South London police station. No, I'm not complaining, but I just said that the founder of the company, I was appalled to find out what had
0: happened. It
1: used to be a powerhouse of tabloid journalism... But this place, once
2: the News of the World's newsroom, was where the seeds of a scandal led to dawn raids, the arrests of journalists, the editors questioned in Parliament. If a rogue reporter decides to behave in that fashion, I'm not sure that there's an audible...
1: I'd just like to say one sentence. This is the most humble day of my life.
0: The News International phone hacking scandal involved the now defunct News of the World and other British newspapers, owned by media tycoon Rupert Murdoch. Various employees of the newspaper were accused of engaging in phone hacking, police bribery and exercising improper influence in the pursuit of stories. Thousands of people were targeted and hacked, victims and their families, actors and performers. Politicians and members of the royal family, sports stars, solicitors in high profile cases, and high ranking members of the police force, among many others. Almost 5,000 victims were identified. In 2002, Millie Dowler was abducted and killed by serial killer Levi Belfield. In 2011, Scotland Yard discovered Millie's voicemail had been accessed by journalists working for the News of the World, and the newspaper's private investigator, Glenn Mulcair. Hello?
1: Good afternoon, sir. Yeah. Hello, it's Glenn. Glenn, how are Hello, you? Hello, mate. Just a very quick one. Uh, voicemail reset on Gordon Taylor, and it's got uh, Tottenham-related issues on there. Great. Is the same number? The same number. Do not delete anything.
0: It was also reported journalists had deleted some of her messages on the phone in order to free up space for new messages, so they could obtain those as well. The deletions of the messages had actually led her family and police to believe she was still alive and active on her phone. They also deleted what could have been potential evidence. The Leveson inquiry was a judicial public inquiry into the culture, practices and ethics of the British press. And over the following years, A series of public hearings were held, and the truth about what had been happening over the years started to unravel. Many came forward to speak at the Leveson Inquiry, including Kate and Jerry McCann, Christopher Jeffries, who had been wrongly accused of the murder of Joanna Yates back in 2011, numerous powerful and public figures, and those accused of crimes. Sarah Payne was also amongst those told by Scotland Yard that there was evidence to suggest that she was targeted as well. She was given a phone by Rebecca Brooks so she could contact her supporters and it is thought that this phone was hacked. Rebecca Brooks was the editor for the News of the World at the time. Sarah said if this was true, it was devastating and disappointing. But she said the News of the World had been a force for good in her daughter's case and helping with Sarah's law. Rebecca Brooks said, The idea that anyone on the newspaper knew that Sarah or the campaign team were targeted by Mr Mulcair is unthinkable. The idea of her being targeted is beyond my comprehension. It is imperative for Sarah and the other victims of crime that these allegations are investigated and that those culpable are brought to justice. Rebecca herself was soon charged with five different counts. Conspiracy to hack voicemails, two counts of conspiracy to pay public officials and two counts of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. She was cleared of all charges in 2014, and resigned as the chief executive of News International, but was later reappointed CEO of the company, which is now named News UK. The phone hacking scandal brought down the News of the World, and saw the resignation of a number of senior members of the Metropolitan Police Force, as well as many people working for the News of the World and News International. Rupert Murdoch resigned as News International's director and his son James resigned as executive chairman. But those affected were undoubtedly left in incomparable positions and forever will be. Although she spoke of her upset at the affair, Sarah Payne contributed to the final issue of the News of the World. She said in part, It's easy to forget in these times that the News of the World has been a force for good and it has something to do with the people who worked on it. I do not pretend they are perfect or always got things right. She also said Rebecca was always in the foreground of the campaign. I did not sleep. I could call at two o'clock in the morning and she would pick up the phone. The Payne family was soon struck with yet more heartbreak. Sarah's dad Michael sunk into severe depression and alcohol abuse after the loss of his daughter. He would have recurring nightmares and blamed himself every day for what happened to Sarah. Tragically, in 2014, Michael was found dead in his flat in Kent. He was just 45 years old. He spent his final days alone, drinking, telling everyone and anyone he spoke to that he should have been able to save his daughter that day. The coroner reported he had died of natural causes, and his father said, we don't know exactly what he died of, but we think it was drink-related. Her siblings also bear an emotional burden.
2: I'm scared to sleep at night half the time. So
1: I work myself solid till I'm pretty much drop because of the fears of what's there when i close my eyes. I create things that didn't happen or things that could have happened. I make scenarios up in my head. And it just eats me away. So I don't get a lot of sleep really. And in fact I dread the night time, when it comes to that point, when I put my head on that pillow, because it's just you and your thoughts. Um, I did for a few years, beat myself up about it, you know, thinking that if I'd maybe ran faster or not ran through the corn, I might have caught up with her. Um, thinking that if I'd, you know, had had my head on that day, realised what that she was, you know, in the back of that van, then but ultimately, as a 13-year-old kid, there's not much I would have been able to do hard to say how you kind of move on from something like that. I don't think it's kind of a process you can put into words. I think it's literally just something that happens day by day. Um, and it's not something that ever really fully happens, I think. Um, yeah, there's never going to be a day when you, you're going to turn around and be like, oh, I'm over that now, because <laughs> it's just not going to happen.
0: After something like that has happened in your family, I think everyone feels a bit of guilt. And how, why was it her, why not me? I think that's gone through mine and my brother's minds. Because it is, it's why her, why not one of us? And I think you kind of feel guilty for even when so bad like that's happened to someone you love, you also, you almost feel guilty for just even being alive and they're not. Sarah's family have always been determined that her death would not be in vain. Officers described Sarah as one of the most resilient and extraordinary women they had ever met, handling every second of the painful case with nothing but control, strength and grace. She has gone on to win numerous awards for her work in child protection and became Britain's first ever victim's commissioner. She was then academically acknowledged for her work in social engineering with an honorary doctorate becoming Dr. Sarah Payne, MBE. "'I talk to her every day, always as an eight-year-old. "'She will always stay eight forever. "'I can see through my other children "'what she would look like, "'and I have a good idea of what she would be like "'personality-wise,' Sarah said. "'Writing letters to her has helped to make up, "'in a small way, for the teenage years, "'and beyond that, I didn't get with her. "'It has made her more real. "'I can hear her giggling.' I can see her mischievous smile. For me, I want to always remember her as that lovely, sweet eight-year-old girl. A statue stands in Sarah's old primary school in memory of her. It symbolises childhood, happiness and innocence. A beautiful and fitting tribute that reflects the happy, loving and kind-hearted little girl that Sarah Payne was. Her family work hard to make sure Sarah will never be forgotten... And the hope is always that Sarah's Law will continue to help protect children and their families for many years to come.